You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. We pick up today close to where we left off last week. Lazarus has just been risen from the dead, and as you should probably imagine, people have interesting reactions to this. Some, like his sister, clearly believe that whatever happens next, Jesus is who he says he is. She decides to anoint Jesus' feet with oil, a very certain faith and devotion that she shows in that act. While elsewhere, the gossip machine of ancient culture has all of its gears turning. News of this resurrection of Lazarus is going out far and wide, because a lot of people are traveling for a very important holiday. And the religious leaders, who are working hard to find their own way to freedom inside the Roman Empire, are not happy that this Jesus character would be trying to mess up all of their political maneuvering and their self-salvation plans. They all agreed that Jesus should be quietly arrested and kept quiet. But here, at the beginning of chapter 12 of John's Gospel, they realize that too many people believe this whole Lazarus rising from the dead thing and that too many people actually witnessed it. They actually saw it with their own eyes. They were going to have to kill Lazarus so that everyone could see his life was no miracle, along with also now getting rid of Jesus. Honestly, they could not have so much faith being created in so many people. Jesus keeps presenting them with problems and keeps on making it difficult for the religious leaders to silence him without others knowing about it. The problem this week is that he seems to think that he is some kind of king, and Jesus does not mind if other people also think that about him. We pick up the day after Mary anoints Jesus' feet, and the beginning of a very special feast or holiday time in Jerusalem when everyone celebrates and remembers God's faithfulness in leading his people out of Egypt. Specifically, when the blood of a lamb covered the lives of his people, their sin and their unbelief, and their judgment was passed over. So here we go. John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, 
Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. John's gospel gives us different details and a different perspective on Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem than the other gospels. Unlike Mark, Matthew, and Luke, we do not hear about how everyone knew where Jesus was going or how exactly Jesus had found or rather had sent the disciples to find this young donkey. We just hear that Jesus found the animal. <laughs> then very simply the word, so. So they took branches of palm leaves and they went out to meet him. Here comes Jesus riding on a little donkey and everyone decides to wave at him with branches and as we hear in the other gospels, let their coats get all dirty. What in the world is going on here? We can only understand what's happening by understanding what the people were saying during all of this. Hosanna, or save us, we pray, is what that word means. And this phrase was used in Psalm 118, verse 25, that we read earlier. And then they continue with verse 26 of that same psalm. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. With such a simple quotation from a song that they all knew, we learn a lot. We understand that everyone who had been following Jesus, who has known that he is coming to the city for Passover, and most recently, who have heard that he has authority over life and death, they believe that in some way this Jesus can save them. They believe that he comes as someone that God has clearly chosen to lead. Save us, we pray, you who have been sent by God. The question, however, that we should be left with is, what did everyone want to be saved from? Or what did they think Jesus was going to do? Even still, up to this point, the disciples were thinking that somehow Jesus was going to take over the city that he was going to place himself on the throne of a king. So who knows what diversity of ideas were floating around and were put forward by this great gossip machine. But on an occasion like this, a man riding an animal through a crowd of people who were laying down and waving palm branches, a symbol for a victorious king who had gloriously won a battle defeating enemies and defending his people, we can begin to understand what they were thinking. Oh, finally, we will return to our glorious days. We will return to the days of our great King David, when we were winners, when we had success, when someone like Rome would collapse under the weight of God's hand. When this life was good and secure and promised, yeah, we're going back to when this promised land was the promised land. 
When those present in the crowd that day said, Save us, we pray, you who are sent by God, you, the king in the line of David, the true king of Israel. This is at least in part what everyone was waiting for. They did say something that was correct. Jesus is the true king. He is the king who is in the line of David. And he is the new and better and true David. But they did not understand the salvation that they were asking for. Even for us now, this should cause us to ask the question, what salvation are we asking for? Are we asking to be saved from the circumstances of this life? Are we asking to be taken out of a lowly position and placed up in a high one? Are we asking to be saved from a future that is unknown and asking instead to be placed into a past when things were I mean, if not good, then at least certain we knew what was coming next. We knew where we stood, at least. Are we looking around at the coronavirus and just seeking someone to blame? See, if we can just figure out who caused this thing, then surely it won't touch me. If we can just figure out why God has sent this scourge, then... Surely we can repent and the sickness will just leave. If we can somehow stop death, then perhaps the economy will be safe. Or if we can just let the sickness do its work and people die, and then the sickness will be pleased and leave us alone and it will spare our bank accounts. All over the place right now I see articles. I read WhatsApp. Even though I avoid Facebook, I still see nonsense about all of this. And we see nonsense about this being the end of the world. And the sureness that, yes, Jesus is going to save us from COVID-19. Us, this faithful generation, certainly he will save us. You should know that in our church's confession of faith, it states that the end of the world is approaching. Just like Peter taught, and just like all generations of Christians have faithfully taught throughout history. It is true. The end is near. And yet, this is probably, probably not the end. This is suffering. And it is death. And it is our reality. It's not one that we would have chosen. And yet, it's probably not the end. If Jesus were walking by or riding by today, we would say, Save us, we pray, O King, from sickness and hardship. And we will definitely honor you with our whole lives and selflessly serve you no matter what comes and no matter what choices you make as king. Even though we all know that that's a lie. In this triumphal entry, Jesus is coming with the salvation that we need, not the salvation that we think we want. He's coming with the salvation promised by all the prophets, and in Zechariah chapter 9, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 
That's John chapter 12, verse 15. The donkey that Jesus found here was actually something that had been written about Jesus around 500 years before the day of this parade. And John here is using the words of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 11. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. He will rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. And here's the circumstances that Zechariah is speaking into. Jerusalem is being taken away into captivity. How could this happen? All of Israel's enemies are mounting up against God's people. And yet, what does Zechariah say? Rejoice. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's righteous. And he brings with him salvation. Oh, surely he's going to save the city. Oh, surely he's going to, to, to save us, his people. But that's not all that Zechariah says. In fact, he says that war will cease. And it's not just Jerusalem that's going to be saved. He's going to speak peace to all the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, that is, spreading over the whole world. And from the river, that is, I guess, where water begins to the place that it ends. That's right, the very ends of the earth. And as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you. Well, we know that when this salvation comes, when this king comes, when he comes to speak peace to the nations, it's going to be a better blood and a better covenant that he comes with. And it's not just going to be for Jerusalem. It's not going to be for these people that are lined up on the sides of the street that day. It's going to be for everyone. It's the salvation that we need. But it's not the salvation that we were looking for or expecting or even wanted from God. It's going to be a salvation that is greater than than what the people in Zechariah's time were waiting for. It's going to be a salvation that is greater than what the people of Jesus' time were looking for. It's going to be even greater than God rescuing his people out of Egypt, which is just a shadow of what Jesus is going to do. It's not going to be like blood painted over a door and, and God choosing to pass by some. It's going to be Jesus, God himself, taking on 
the sins of the world. It's going to be the blood of a perfectly righteous lamb. And sin and judgment are not just going to pass over. They're actually going to be placed upon that lamb. He's going to carry with him the sins of the world. And he is going to suffer our judgment and for our sin in our place. That's the kind of salvation that God says we need. John does add in to verse 15 there, fear not, which is one of the most typical commands throughout all of scripture when people are faced with God and his judgment or his salvation. Echoed here in verse 15 of John chapter 12, we also hear a little bit of what's going on in Isaiah chapter 40. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. In verse 16 of John 12, I love the understatement that John makes. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. <laughs> um, John is very simply stating here what we've been getting at throughout this passage, that no one really knows what's going on, right? Everyone's kind of caught up with the crowd. They know that Jesus has done and is continuing to do amazing things. They know that somehow he's a king, and yet they don't actually know what this means. They don't know how they're going to get from this moment in time where Jesus raised one man from the dead to another moment in time where he is standing over all the people of the world speaking peace to them after he has, you know, caused judgment to take place and, and he has quieted everything and he is ruling over everything. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with them when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. They continued telling everyone what he had done with Lazarus. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So now John gives us the reason for why everyone is out there. Why everyone is there to meet him and singing to him and shouting to him and waving and laying down these palm branches. And what do the Pharisees say? So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look. The whole world has gone after him. <laughs> this is the same uh, kind of overstatement that they made 
at the at the beginning of John's gospel three years ago. Uh, they said that, oh, the whole world's going out and following him. Uh, later on in the book of Acts, we're also going to see that the Pharisees, when they're looking at this this new young Christian movement, they're also saying, oh, the whole world's gone crazy. <laughs> and this is exactly what the Pharisees are saying here and now. Look at this. We can't do anything with these people. They're all going after this Jesus. And we know what comes after this, right? We know what we're working up to in this week. We call it Holy Week. We're working inevitably, that is, it cannot be stopped, towards the death of Jesus. This king who is receiving this royal welcome of victorious general coming back from battle, who's just declared victory over his enemies, He's going to die the death of a criminal. And why is he going to do it? He's going to do it because with him, he carries salvation. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he has salvation with him. Anchored Baptist Church, listen. It is during this week that we celebrate our king drawing near to us. He draws near to us in such a special way that it's not just he that is righteous. He gives us his righteousness and he gives us that salvation that he is bringing with him. This week, I'm saddened not by the events that took place 2,000 years ago, I'm instead saddened by the fact that we don't get to be together celebrating this. That we don't get to be taking part in the Lord's Supper together on Friday or Sunday of this week. But church, we do still get to celebrate the fact that not the salvation we wanted, not the salvation that we were looking for, but the salvation that God knew we needed. He gave to us. He gives to us in Jesus. He gives us righteousness and he gives us salvation in the most unexpected and most unlikely of ways. And we can praise him and thank him for that. Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus, who though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grabbed onto. Instead, he emptied himself for our sake, taking on the, the form of a servant, being born in our likeness. And being in our likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death as a criminal. God, we thank you that you have highly exalted him and placed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory it's in his name we pray amen
Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.